Let us all pray. Oh God, our Father, we thank you for your gracious presence in our midst today and for the promise both in grace which we have seen in the minds and hearts and lives of so many of our fellow Christians here in this community and in this church. We seek your benediction upon each of us that we might live according to your will. We pray that you will take these gifts which we bring and grant that the Holy Spirit himself may superintend their use, that they may bring glory and honor to your name and help and blessing to many people. And now, Father, in these minutes that we have remaining in worship, make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts to be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Be seated. <clears throat> I've been out of church too long, Richard. I don't know that song. I'm going to sing something you know it to close the service. Uh, if you'll, it's a good song, though, and I'm proud of these kids. I want to talk to you a little while and try on track by using something that an old friend brought to me not long ago. And uh, it stayed around the house there for a while, and then finally I picked it up one day and read it, and it was really, really good. I called him and I said, I want to use a part of that little children's talk that you gave in the service tomorrow. He said, okay, but I don't want any publicity. Uh, so I can't tell you his name, but it's really been a, a joy to study those same scriptures and pray about them in relation to the things that we've seen today and what's going to happen. You know, when you get on that airplane to go to Bolivia, those of you who are going, uh, there are some of us who are going to be staying here, of course. And I'll never forget the first great overwater flight in commercial aviation that I ever took. Uh, I was going out to uh, Africa, and I remember leaving LaGuardia Airport, and uh, I was in the tourist economy class section on the back of that airplane, and uh, the plane took off and we started toward Africa and it took hours and hours and hours and hours to go from Lourdes all the way to Dakar on the coast of West Africa. And I remember being a little bit scared and I read in the 139th Psalm. And you know what it said? It said, though I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me and thy right hand shall uphold me. You know, I'd seen those, that verse, I guess, many, many times before. But when I read it that morning in my little New Testament and Psalms on the airplane, the thought dawned on me, the Lord has already got out there to Africa ahead of me. And that means that he's going to be with me, that his right hand will hold me. That was just a little thing, but it spoke to my heart in a great way when I realized his presence and how much it would mean to me to go there. Well, the devotional that my friend gave to me was on the Christ of little things. And one of the unique and fascinating things about Jesus was his attention to little things. He knows what goes on inside our hearts, thinking about at this moment. One of the examples of that is not in Matthew 12, but Mark 12 is the account of Jesus watching people as they give their gifts. And today we give him gifts of our attention, we give him gifts of our money, we give him gifts of our service. And in Mark 12 it says that one day Jesus sat opposite the treasury and he began observing the people how the multitudes were putting money 
into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. And calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow hath put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus. But she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had, all that she had to live on. This widow's might. Remember that it took two of them to make a farthing? You know what a farthing is? It's a thing far off. And when you thing far off, it becomes very small. A farthing, just a little bitty thing. So little that the disciples who were standing there watching the people bring their gifts in, and there were huge trumpet-shaped uh, metal uh, containers made out of brass. And many that were, had a lot of money would take it up in their hands like they had a lot of coins, and they would come up to the trumpet-shaped thing and fling it down in with a lot of gusto, and then look around and wait for everyone to say, look how much he gave. Isn't that wonderful? That's what the Bible means when it says, don't sound a trumpet. They were sounding the trumpet with their coins. My brother is here from Texas, and when we were little boys and went to church out in Texas, I remember one old guy that would put his money in the collection plate, and if he would put a $5 bill in, he took that thing out and popped it like that, and then he would drop it <laughs> like that. He, want, well, he was advertising. And Jesus saw that there were a lot of people who knew that it was an easy way to show, show off on how much money you gave. And so they wanted to take footage for it. They had a lust, a desire for attention, and they just had to get it. And Jesus saw Peter, old smelly fisherman, James, John, Andrew, and they were looking at this and they were saying, wow, look how much money that guy put in. And another one said, "Woo, look at that. And Jesus had watched that widow that they didn't even see. She had slipped out of the crowd, old and poor and worn. And no one could see her, and she slipped up and dropped her two little coins in. A farthing, so far off you couldn't hardly see it. Well, Jesus saw it. It was a little thing, and he was looking right there. You may not be able to go to Bolivia, but there are little things that you can do. And then there are those of you who are going to Bolivia who will find out that the trip will consist of the little words of kindness that you show to each other on that long trip. And the little things that you might do for someone else that'll really add up to the greatest experience. Jesus had a watchfulness which read deeply the beauty of that poor widow's gift. And he told his disciples, she gave more than everyone in that group. You were impressed by all of those coins that the rich people put in. But what I'm impressed with is the motive. What's in someone's heart? The size of things never mattered much with Jesus. It was the motive that he wanted really to be big. And so if you can do something for Jesus, even though it might seem little in someone else's eyes, if it's done with a heart full of love for him, it will really, really count. We're thinking about missionaries this morning, and I had the privilege of studying over in Edinburgh, and one time I went to Glasgow to preach, and I'll never forget the church that I preached in because someone there told me that it was the church 
where one of the great missionaries of the Presbyterian Church of Scotland had gone to Africa from, a man by the name of Moffat. Uh, they said that when he was a little boy, he came from a slum section of Glasgow, but he had a heart that was just bursting with love for Jesus Christ. But he had raggedy, raggedy clothes, and he did good to skimp along and get enough to eat every day. And one day a missionary spoke in their church. And in Scotland they have a, a big collection plate that must be that big around in uh, many of those churches. And this little guy actually went up after the service and sat down in the collection plate. He really wanted to give himself to the Lord. It was something that had touched his heart even as a tiny little child. And he wanted to give himself to Jesus. He didn't have any money to give. Well, Jesus would not have turned that gift down. And then there's another quick story that I want you to know about that shows how Jesus watches little things. And it came about on another Sabbath. He entered into the synagogue and was teaching. And there was a man there whose right hand was withered. Now there is no legend that this man with the withered hand was actually a bricklayer, a stonemason, and that somehow his hand had been injured in an accident and it had withered away. And the scribes and the Pharisees, the big haughty religious people were watching Jesus very closely. They knew how kind he was. And this was a Sabbath day. And Jesus knew they were watching him. He knew what they were thinking. They were wondering whether he would break the Sabbath by healing this man on the Sabbath day. But he knew what they were thinking and he said to the man with the withered hand, Arise, come forward. And he arose and came forward. And Jesus said to these critical people, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy it. And after looking around at them, and I think there must have been rather much anger in his eyes when he looked around and thought how cold some people could be and think they were being very religious when they were being so hard on someone else. And after looking around at them all, he said to them, to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand. And he did so and his hand was completely restored. Mark says, as the other, his hand was made completely well. But they themselves were filled with rage and discussed what they might do to put Jesus to death. You might say it's just a little thing what a person does or does not do on the Sabbath day, and we don't keep the Sabbath strictly enough now. But Christ saw that a small, insignificant thing to them was a big thing to this man. He had already raised a dead child. A funeral procession had been coming out of the town and he stopped it and said, young man, arise. And he arose. He had already gone into the home where a little girl was dead and he said, Talithi Kumi, to the little girl in Arabic, little maid. He had raised the dead. He had fed 5,000 men, not counting the women and children, with just two fishes and five little barley cakes. And you wouldn't think that such a grand miracle as that would 
not be enough, here he shows them that a little miracle, healing this man's withered hand, is very important to him, and teaching them how to look on the Sabbath day was important. And then I got to hurry. There's another little man, one that we used to sing about in Sunday school all the time. Little guy whose story is told in Luke chapter 19. That's when Jesus is on the way to the cross. And he entered and was passing through Jericho, and behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax gatherer, and he was rich. And he was trying to see who Jesus was, and he was unable because of the crowd, for he was small of stature. He was little. And he went and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see Jesus, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry, come down, for today I must stay at your house. And Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him gladly. It would seem such a little thing. Zacchaeus had a terrible reputation. Politicians get into a lot of trouble. Bill Clinton got the most famous haircut since Samson. Uh, and uh, everybody's watching what you do. And they were watching Jesus when he looked at, uh, it, he came along there and here was this little old guy that had climbed up in a tree. And these people had hated him because he had cheated them so many times. They didn't like him a bit. And yet when Jesus looked at him, Jesus' heart went out to him. It was just a little thing to put your eye on Zacchaeus, but he did put his eye on Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I'm going to your house to eat lunch. And if ever in all the world a committee of welcoming had its plans knocked awry, it must have been that committee that day in Jericho. I'm sure that the pastor of the first Hebrew Presbyterian church around there said, <laughs> said well, I know he's going to want to eat with the moderator of the General Assembly, and he's going to want to eat with this man. And Jesus goes off with a member of the mafia and eats with him. Boy, were they ever mad. In the continuation of Luke's account of it, Luke said at this, there was a general murmur of disapproval. The church never has got away from that murmuring state. He simply asked a little thing. He asked Zacchaeus to let him come and dine at his house. And look at the response. Zacchaeus was thrilled with what Jesus said. It tickled him. And he was so happy. And I'm sure he must have walked by looking at those scribes and Pharisees. Check this out, buddy. See, see who he went. And then they got in there, and you know how, what it would go. If you've ever been around, a, uh, I have a lot of Jewish friends, and I mean this, there's no disrespect, but here's a guy who's going to say, hey, Jesus, you ought to wait till supper. I've got the best cook in Jericho. Man, this guy can flat out cook. He was a Texas Jew. <laughs> he said, uh, and you ought to see the paintings. You look at that painting on the wall. I want you to know that that is no, no print. That is an original. I had some guys pick that up for me in Athens. It came all the way from Athens here. And these vases around here, check them out. They're the real thing. And all the while, Jesus was looking out the window. Zacchaeus thought, what's he looking at? There were poor people who hadn't anything to eat standing out there in the yard of his big house. 
And then Zacchaeus got to thinking. He said before it was over, you know, Jesus, I don't feel right about the way I got my money. And I want you to know that if I've cheated any man, I'm going to give him back five times what I took away. And I'm going to give the other half of what I got to the poor. And when he came out of the house that day, there was a grand difference in Zacchaeus. There'll be a grand difference in us if we really see what Jesus sees. And let his way of causing us to look at the little things take over. And then you know, of course, the story of the little boy that brought the loaves and fishes. How Philip and Andrew were looking at this crowd of people, wondering what they were going to do because the sun was setting, and they were, he, were, he was thinking, what on earth can we do to get enough to feed all this crowd of people? And Jesus could always see what they're thinking. He knows all the time, right now, what I'm thinking, what you're thinking. And Jesus could tell they were worried. How are they going to feed all this bunch? It's getting close to time to eat. And someone comes up to him, I imagine it was Peter because he was so impetuous and impulsive, it was just the thing he would do. Came up here and said, it's getting late, Lord. You've got to send this bunch away. They've got to go find something to eat. And Jesus said, you give them something to eat. Huh? I, I remember when Sean first mentioned this project to go to Bolivia. I thought, huh? <laughs> go to Bolivia. How on earth could we ever get that much money? And thank goodness I didn't say anything about it. And John will tell you I didn't. I was trying to let him teach me what he could do. And I thought, well, I might as well let him learn the hard way. But, <laughs> but he had a lot of faith. He prayed. And you see what's happening now. Just a little thing that was given to the Lord. And that little boy with the loaves and fishes. You know, Andrew, the Gospels tell us, is the one that brought him to Jesus. And Andrew was Simon Peter's brother, and everyone got to talking about the family that Peter and Andrew were in. They were always talking about Peter. And then every time they introduced Andrew, they would always say, this is Andrew. You know, Andrew, that's Simon Peter's brother. That's the way you got to know him. But Andrew was always looking for people like the Greeks who came looking for Jesus, and Andrew took them up to meet him. And Andrew went out and made friends with his little boy. And he took his loaves and fishes and presented them to Jesus. Jesus said, tell them all to sit down. And they all sit down in groups of 50. And Steve Asito is here this morning. Once years ago, I was preaching on this sermon. And if you read it in Mark, it's a very vivid. The colors are very vivid. If you can think about patches like you would plant a garden of 50 here and 50 here and 50 here and 50 here. And it says there was much grass in the place. And that was back in the days when marijuana was going everywhere. And I had some laughter up in the balcony. Uh, there was much in the place. But this was green grass, the kind that won't get you in trouble. And they all sat down on it in bunches of 50. And then Jesus saw to it that when he had blessed these loaves and given them, that they just kept on expanding, going to the multitude. So that shows you how little will do. And so... These things which Jesus teaches us are meant to show us that he cares for the two coins, for the man with the withered hand, for Zacchaeus, the man that nobody really wanted. But he always cares. 
He told us to watch the lilies of the field. He said, you've seen them a thousand times, but if you let them speak to you, they're kind of field preachers. They'll talk to you about God because even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And when I think about Lenny coming this morning and making his confession of faith in Christ, I added one thing in the presence of the congregation. As far as you know your own heart, do you believe that God the Holy Spirit has led you to Jesus as Lord? Do you know that that expression right there, Jesus is Lord, is one of the earliest confessions of faith? Once I was in a town in Italy where there was the shrine of St. Cecilia. And Celia was the daughter of very wealthy people during one of the horrible persecutions that were launched against the Christians by horrible Roman emperors. Celia was very beautiful. And when they came into her house and the soldiers struck her, the sword hit her across the neck and she fell to the ground but didn't die instantly. And they watched her and the soldier couldn't hit her again. He felt horrible about what he had done and he left. And when they found Celia's body frozen with rigor mortis in death and stiffened in death, her hands were like this. Jesus is Lord. In the shrine of St. Cecilia, I remember buying a little marble statue of St. Cecilia. And I've thought about that a lot of times. Well, how do you, what does it mean that Jesus is Lord? Well, that's a creed. You know what creed means? Creed is the same word that credit comes from. If someone gives you credit, they're saying, I believe you, and I believe you will pay me. That's a creed, credo, I believe. When I say Jesus is Lord, I've expressed a creed. He's Lord of the universe. When I say Jesus is Lord, it's an act of worship. I am saying something big beyond me. Jesus is Lord. That's an act of worship. And also, it's an oath of loyalty. Jesus is Lord. That's a creed. It's worship. It's an oath of loyalty. And so when I say, as far as you know your own heart, do you believe that God the Holy Spirit has led you to say, Jesus is Lord, and that you do truly confess that Jesus is your Lord? You heard what a while ago. I do so believe. Do you believe that? If you don't, you can believe it right now. You can give as much of yourself as you know how to give to as much of him as you understand. Jesus is Lord. You see, when you hear that and you read the Bible and you know who he is and what he did, that's the truth being presented to you. Based upon that truth, you believe. Based upon that belief, there must come obedience. And out of that obedience, there will come feeling. Don't get it turned around and put feeling first. I don't feel like a question. But get it right. Believe the truth. Got the truth. You got the belief. You got the obedience. Then the feeling comes. Then you can say, Jesus is Lord and really mean it. Let's bow in prayer.
Oh, Father, we thank you that Jesus is Lord. And for those who have never yet reckoned him to be Lord of their lives, help them this morning to let him be Lord over everything. You know what a long, long trip this is. And these young people have answered that call, here am I, send me. And they're going. And we thank you for their families that have sponsored them in this and helped them in this and for others who have given. And we pray that you will bless them. And for those of us who stay here, make us to know that our job is just as important. We've got to live for Jesus all the time around people who know us very well and see what we do every single day and help us to be able to show them by the words that we speak and the things that we do that Jesus is Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you accept the little things and that they add up to very big things. And we pray that you will make true faithful servants. And if any person here has never yet yielded his or her life to Jesus Christ. We pray that you will prompt that person to come forward today and to see either Richard or me, or to go back in the back of the church here and meet with those who can help them to understand the meaning of the Christian faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us conclude our worship by singing the hymn printed on your bulletin, May the Mind of Christ My Savior.